so grateful for Lord's testimony of Lord, what you brought him through, and uh, Lord, how you drew him into the work that you had for him. And that, uh, Lord, the testimony that if we're willing to continue to say yes to you, and, and we're willing to stay on that narrow path and to be focused, even when we get a glimpse of ourselves and we see things that we don't like, things that don't add up, if we're willing to just endure and to obey and to submit that what you can do in our lives. And so, Lord, now we're just we're grateful for the opportunity to uh, say goodbye to Toy and Alley and, and, um, and send our friends to go and do a work in another place in the world. And so, God, we just ask that you would remain with them, that your blessing would remain with them, uh, that your grace and your, and your protection would remain with them. God, uh, prepare the hearts and the minds of people there uh, that, that Toy and Ali might have favor with people. And that, uh, Lord, have you gifted them relationally and in terms of your word, that those things would be used and, and utilized. And that, that uh, you would give them people to disciple, uh, people to, to pour their lives into. And that, God, they would find refreshing and enjoyment in that. And that they would be uh, closer to you because they're making this decision. Uh, grow them in their intimacy with you. Grow them in their intimacy with one another. And Lord, knit them into that body, that local body in Tampa. Uh, we pray for Lucy this morning. We ask that you would comfort her. You comfort her family. And God, God you would use this time as an opportunity for her to preach uh, in love uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in her family that don't know you. Uh, and I know that that's, that's her heart. And she's yearning for that. God, I just ask that you would make uh, your gospel clearer to those people. Uh, than it ever has been. And God, we pray for Tampa, Lord. Just bless their services this morning. We pray for salvations. We, we pray for rejoicing. And we pray that, that hearts would be expected. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Are we ready? We got some work to do. Romans chapter 2. Yeah, is that heavy? Is everybody feeling a little heavy? Yeah? Sober? Are you sober this morning? Okay, shake your limbs a little bit. Right, take some deep breaths. We're going to study. And Romans has not been easy. Are we on over here? Yeah. Ready to go? Okay. Romans has not been an easy study. There's been some heavy lifting, and there's been some serious examination. And we've used words like hypocrite a lot lately, which those fun, uh, words are never fun to use, right? When we, when we start looking at our lives in terms of, of how God sees us and he perceives us, some things come to light about ourselves that we don't always like seeing. And I think Toy's testimony this morning is, is very fitting in terms of what we've been looking at. You know, in a moment, he had a decision to make. When, when he was told, this is not a, a testimony that's probably fun to share, but when he was told, look, Toy, you're not quite ready to disciple yet. There's a, there's a lot of options that could have run through his mind. Fleeing could be one of those. Or bitterness of heart could be one of those. And yet he chose to submit. And in doing so, he chose not to be a hypocrite. Right? He chose not to endure the judgment of God. He made the right decision. And then God proved himself to be true in, in Toy's life. And that, to me, that's a good testimony for me. Um, none of us have arrived. None of us have come to a place where we've got everything figured out. And when you start thinking that way, that is when you're in danger of being a hypocrite. When you look at other people and you compare yourself to other people, and, you, and your heart is filled with pride, and you think that you have the answers, you are in danger of becoming a hypocrite. And this is what we've been talking about. And last week specifically, we talked about how your heart is seen, even when you don't think it's seen, right? Even when you, you think that you're all alone in your thoughts, God is watching, and He knows. And he is a righteous judge. And he will judge our deeds and our actions. And he's weighing them and he's measuring them. And there will come a time that all of us, saved and unsaved alike, will answer for the lives that we've lived. And so we've got to make decisions now about who we're going to be moving forward. And again, I just want to see a show of hands. Who was in Casa Discipleship this morning? There we go. See, we've got people in our midst who are making a decision to consecrate themselves to Jesus Christ, that they might have a good judgment seat. 
And we all have to be about that work. Now, as we enter into verses 17 through 29, we're going to look at this a little bit more closely. And, and guess what? Next week, we're going to, Uriah is going to preach. Woo! Uriah is excited. And he's going, to, he's going to be teaching from Philemon. And so I want to get through chapter 2 today. We have a lot to do. Let's focus in. Let's pray one more time that God would utilize our time together. And then uh, let's see what God has for us, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we're so grateful to be here this morning. And I look, and, and the seats are full of all my favorite people. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be with them this morning. I'm so grateful to worship your name. I'm so thankful for the message that you gave Chris Best this morning. I'm so thankful for the parallels to what we're about to hear. And, um, and God, I just ask that you would make this group of people fit for your mission. And so, Lord, all the things in our lives that, that, that make us, um, Lord, fall short, that, that, Lord, your standards are set, and, Lord, we fall short. Would you give us grace and mercy to be the type of believer that you want us to believe, that believe, be, that we would, we, uh, we would be able to move forward in our walk in faith, believing that you're conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ daily. We want to be missionaries. We want to be uh, leaders. We want to be disciplers. We want to pour our lives into others. We want to see people grow in their knowledge of who you are. And we want to do that in humility. So God, uh, this morning, use your word uh, to conform us and to make us that humble follower. In your son's name, amen. Verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew... And restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of, of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews in this baby church in Rome. And we're seeing that the, that the dynamic of the relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews, is, they're not quite meshing together. And as we're walking through Romans, we're seeing Paul addressing the issues of conflict within the body. And in the previous chapter, we saw that the Gentiles were a people who that, that for, for thousands of years shunned the God of the Bible, and that their minds grew reprobate in their idolatry and their wickedness, and that, that God was doing a work in, the, in, in Rome by delivering people out of their paganism and bringing them into a relationship with God. And so on one hand, you have all these baby Christians, these Gentiles, where their faith is brand new, and they're learning what God has for them, and they're learning the truths of God's word for the very first time. And then on the other hand, you have these people, these Jews, who've always known the oracles of truth. That, that for thousands of years, they've been inundated with the truth of God's word. And, and because of that, they were justified. And as we've talked about the hypocrites, we've talked about how the Jewish people felt justified in who they were and their walk, and yet, all the while in their hearts, they were falling short of God's expectations for them. That their hearts were hard. They thought too highly of themselves. And we've been discussing what it looks like to be a hypocrite. And today we're going to take a, a closer examination of our own personal perceptions of who we think we are versus the reality of who we are. And we're going to use the Jewish people as an example of what it means for us religious, for those of us who, 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 who see ourselves as religious individuals, people of faith. When we really examine our lives, is our heart truly humble before God? And are we truly malleable in the hands of the potter? That's what we're going to look at. And this description in verses 17 through 20 tell us about a people who have a heritage of faith and they're steeped in the knowledge of who God is. And yet there's something seriously the matter. Verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. To be a Jew is obviously to be a part of a spiritual heritage that was socially and culturally significant. The, the Jewish people, uh, their entire culture surrounded the truths of God's word. They lived it out. 
They, they, the, every action that they took was informed by the knowledge of the fact that they were God's chosen people, that they were the ones that were separated out, and God called them to be a blessing to the world. That's who they were. That's, that was their identity. And for someone to be a Jew was to be raised in a com- community that assumes biblical truths. If you were God's chosen people, you were his favorite children. And that's with them for thousands of years culturally. They saw themselves as God's favorite children in the world. And the testimony of that that is that over time they became very ethnocentric in the way that they thought. They became self-centered and just you know we just talked about self-centeredness, right? They became very self-centered in the way that they saw themselves. They grew in their pride. And what it did is it caused them to isolate themselves from the Gentile people whom they were called to bless, whom they were called to reach. Are you with me? And there's, guys, listen, there's everything good about belonging to God, isn't there? And to be inundated in biblical culture. Those of you, raise your hand if you've been in church for five years or more. Isn't it good to be surrounded in a culture of biblical truth? Where the people that are around you are like their lives are informed by what they believe about God's word. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that change the way you think? But here's the danger of that. The danger is you can begin to rest in that heritage. And you can become very self-centered in the way that you, you think. And you can grow to lean into the fact that you are a spiritual person and you come from a spirit, spiritual heritage that you're a member of Midtown Baptist Temple, that where you go to church, they teach the word of God. And you can be culturally uh, so at rest in who you are that you can completely neglect the fact that that is not a measurement of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Your spiritual heritage is not an accurate measurement of your relationship with God. The fact that you're faithful to this class every Sunday does not somehow make you a more spiritually mature mature person. And here's the thing. If you overestimate the value of your spiritual heritage, the history of how God has grown you in the faith, if you overestimate that, you are are potentially in, in danger of devaluing your relationship with Jesus Christ now. Does that make sense? You know, we, time to time we get in, in, in a frame of thought or a frame of thinking where we, we like make our, our past and what God has done in our life, we make that a monument. And, and, we, and we revere that. We revere the times of the past, don't we? And we think, remember when God did this in our lives and God did that in our lives? And our testimony is always about what God has done in the past and who God has made us to be. And that's awesome. That's your testimony. You should value it. But you shouldn't value that at the neglect of what God is doing in your life now. We have to position ourselves in a way that says, my relationship with God in the past was awesome, but this moment, it's as good as it's ever been. This is the best moment to live. And for the Jewish people, they were in a place where they were resting in who God had made them to be, not in who God was making them to be. You understand? And that's dangerous. An MBT or any Bible-believing church with a strong faith heritage, there's a danger that, that our pride in who we are can cause us to neglect our relationship with him. And this leads us to the next point. The Jews were very knowledgeable of the word. They were very knowledgeable. Okay, I don't know if you're following along with me. I'm trusting you over there, Alvaro. You with me? Okay. Position yourself. There you go. (laughs) Verse 18. And knowest his will. The Jews knew his will. They knew his will. And approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Knowest his will and approvest. A person, this is a person familiar with the truths of the Bible and approves of them. Okay, this word approvist is, is means that they were tested out and they conceded to the truth. They submitted to the truth. 
who God was and his truth. They, they had conceded to the fact that, that God was God and his word and that it was true. And they knew the word. They knew the word. The Jew had a particular access to the truth that other, other people didn't have in the world. And that truth gave them a clear spiritual advantage. I mean, the Bible describes the Gentile people as a people that were groping in the dark. That they had no truth. Right? That, 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 that they didn't know how to live. And yet there's this culture of people who has all of the truth and all of the light. And yet they hide it away. Right? And so while the pagans were lost in the dark, the Jew walked in light. And that truth protected them. And here's the, here's the thing. Knowing the answers, well, that's good. Knowing all the Bible answers is good. Who wants to know the Bible better? Who wants to have answers when people have questions? Nothing wrong with that. I want to have answers for people from God's word. I want to know it more intimately. I, I, I want to memorize it. I want it to be a part of who I am. But having all the answers is not equivocal to being spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity is developed as truth is met with obedience. And if you're not willing to obey the little things that you've known, the things that God's revealed to you, then you are in danger of growing in your hypocrisy. Are you with me this morning? Um, so what you know is important, and truth is important. And, and we are a privileged people in this church, aren't we? I mean, I can't imagine if I would have, if God would have brought me to any other body than this, I can't even imagine, right? This church has blessed me so greatly. And like Sam, I got, I can, it's more difficult to brag on Sam when he's here. But, but Sam's investment in me in terms of the truth of God's word has completely changed my life and I am not the same for it. But shame on me if I think that the more that I know, the better off I am in my faith. God is measuring my deeds. In other words, he's measuring how I obey the truths that I've been exposed to. That's what he's looking at. You know, uh, Jorge went to the, the jail, the prison ministry this morning, which, by the way, this is a plug for that. Some of you, look, he got back in time to be a part of Kaya. He didn't even miss class, right? And he got to go and preach uh, to, to a bunch of inmates who need to hear the truth of the gospel. And some of you who've gotten out of D1 and you're ready to serve, you should consider whether or not you're supposed to go and, and help out in the prison ministry. And you can start slow. You don't have to start teaching right away. But you can go and help and counsel and be with those guys because those men and women in those prisons, they need to hear the truth of God's word, right? Amen? But when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I started going to the jail ministry. And on Sunday nights, we would go and we'd preach. And you know, one of the things that I was amazed by right away was how many of those inmates knew God's word way, way, way better than me. I mean, they could quote scripture. They, they had, man, there were pastors in there. I'm a, I'm a deacon at such and such Baptist church, and, and they would tell me about it. And in the back of my head, I'd be like, what in the, are you doing here? And this is why they found themselves there, because they knew God's word, and it was intellectual. But they struggled to obey it. They struggled to say yes to the things that they knew were true. And if you're in a position, uh, believer, if you're in a place where you know God's word and you're not saying yes to him, you are in danger of judgment. Your biblical IQ is not a measurement, is not an accurate measurement of your relationship with God. And while knowledge is important, Knowledge, we just learned this, guys. Knowledge, 2 Peter chapter 1, what's it? How is knowledge added? It's added to what? If your virtue isn't right, if your faithfulness isn't right, if, if your yes sir isn't saying yes, then no amount of knowledge that's added to you will be of any use. Do you understand? It's vain, it's worthless. We have to be willing to say yes 
A person full of knowledge is in danger of being puffed up. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says. They're in danger of being puffed up. And one, when one is puffed up, they become uh, uh, so... They become a detriment to the people that they're around. They're of no help. And that's where the Jewish people were at in their hypocrisy. They were of no use. Verse 19 says, And, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. In other words, the Jew set himself up as a teacher of others and did so with contemptuous pride and a tone of scornfulness. Can you imagine the Gentiles in this church in Rome? They're wanting to be discipled. They're wanting to learn the word of God. They're wanting to be discipled. They're wanting to know the truths that the Jews had had for so many years. They're wanting to learn those things. And yet those Jews, those religious people, who in their humility had just got done confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, not weeks or months earlier, were discipling them from a place of arrogance and pride, as though they had everything figured out. Can you imagine how that went down? And how uncomfortable a situation that would be? The word foolish here in this passage literally means stupid. It's a derogatory term. And what it tells us is it's showing us the disdain that the Jews had towards those that they were investing in. And here's the thing that I want to warn you against, is that having a position or a title or even an opportunity to share the truth of God's word is not an occasion to be proud. Like, good for you that you had an opportunity to share from a place like Jorge preached this morning, right? That's so exciting, isn't it? Jorge. Look at me. Look at his humility. You won't even look at me now. <laughs> Was that not exciting? But if you go home and you pat yourself on the back, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. Positions are not an opportunity to be proud. See, authority does not make you more important in God's plan. Did you know that? Is that the, the, the whole thing about the body of Christ is that every part is crucial. No matter what part of the path you're on or how advanced you've become in your knowledge, every one of us is equally important to God's plan. And if we lose sight of that, we are in true danger of becoming the hypocrite that we've been talking about for these past few weeks. Does that make sense? Your opportunities and, and positions, listen, get this down, your opportunities and positions and, 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 and your titles, whatever they might be, are not a measurement of a, a relationship with God. There are many pastors in this world today who are preaching this Sunday morning from a position of authority whose hearts are not right before the living God. And that is a dangerous place to be. Let me give you an example. Like in public education, right? right? The sector of, of where I work, right? It's common for art teachers ugh, to not actually practice making art. Right? <laughs> Like, okay, so this is what I mean. Like, a lot of, this isn't so true at my school, but some of the other schools in the area, a lot of the times the art teachers, they went to school to be art teachers. And while they may be familiar with, with like, art teaching principles and art making principles, they don't actually practice making art on their own in their spare time. Okay? And because of that, they produce worse students. Because they're teaching a bunch of things that they know in their head, but they don't actually put their hands to the work. They're not actually obedient to the task at hand. They don't have a studio practice where they're going home at night and they're painting and they're making things. They don't make things, right? And so what happens is they grow stagnant in their teaching and the people that they produce are not as good at making art. Okay, so that's a really lame parallel, but listen to me. You might know the truth, and you might teach it, but if you don't practice it, what you produ produce is only going to be flawed. 
It will only be flawed. It is not sufficient to know or even teach the truth if you are not willing to live it and obey it and, as we learned this morning, even die for it. You understand? Paul uses himself as an example in Philippians chapter 3. He says, uh, verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the, the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but to you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the, in the spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might, he's speaking about himself now, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. We know that about Paul, right? That he was taught the truths of God's word from an early age. And that he had the privilege of learning truths that the average individual, even the average Jew, didn't have access to. He was a man of authority. Circumcised the eighth day of, of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, uh, blameless. But listen very carefully, verse 7. But what things were gained to me? Though I counted loss for Christ, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the ex- excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. Did you catch that? My own righteousness, which is of the law, which is of knowledge, which is of heritage, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Listen carefully, guys. Paul knew something that we need to know. As you continue to grow, as you continue to know, you can never stop leaning into obedience and simple faithfulness to Jesus Christ. You cannot forget what he's done in your life. You cannot forget what was required of you in terms of humility the day that you were saved. Remember the day that you were saved? Remember how broken you were over your sin? Remember what was required of you and what you had to put on the altar the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You had to die to everything that day. Then how come is it that when we go to church, we find ourselves continually respecting one another, comparing ourselves to one another, as though we have anything, I count it but dung. So here's the question for you. How have you been measuring your spiritual maturity? It's a big question. It's a hard one. And only you can answer it. It's very personal. How have you been measuring your spiritual maturity? Where is your religious reliance? And what do you personally tend to find your complacency in your walk? Where do you tend to find that? Everyone's a little bit different in terms of their pride. But when you find yourself far away from God and you find yourself the most hypocritical in, in your thinking, what, is it, what aspect is it that you're relying on? By what church you go to? Who your parents are? How you were raised? Some of us in this church have, have grown up learning the truths of God's word. And we associate ourselves with the fact that our father is a pastor or a deacon or a leader in the church. And we look to that as some sort of like measurement of who we, who we are in terms of, uh, of Christ. Do you rely on your spiritual heritage as a measurement of who you are in Jesus Christ? Be careful. Or do you measure by what you know and what you have learned? Or by what roles you have at MBT and how you are perceived by other people? How do you measure your spirituality? What we need to do is we need to measure our spiritual growth based on our intimacy and obedience with Jesus Christ. Don't we? In Romans chapter 2, Paul is establishing 
That while someone might appear to have all the advantages, and while someone may appear to be a spiritual authority, without obedience towards God, you're in danger of sinful contradiction. You understand? Verse 21. Let's talk about this contradiction. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Okay, let's look at this very first thing. Verse 21. Thou therefore that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Boy, that's a call out, isn't it? They got called out there. And, and here's, here's a question for you. Okay, here's a quick question. This is a side note. When you read the Bible, how do you read it? You know, what? early on when I first started teaching every Sunday, a lot of times when I'd study God's word, I would study it with other people in mind. Has anybody ever done that? Where you'd study God's word and you'd think, man, this would be great for so-and-so. Or I'm preparing this so that these people can hear this truth. And what I do and when I do that is I neglect to say, woe is me. When I look at God's face, I, I'm, I'm not seeing it as a mirror, right? I'm seeing it as some sort of projectile device, like a, like a projector for other people. I'm holding it away from myself. And the truth is, if God's word is supposed to be everything that it's supposed to be, when I look at it, I should say, woe. Woe is me. And it should cut me. You understand? So the things that you learn... Do you see yourself in those stories, in those narratives, in those doctrines, in those oracles of truth? Do you see yourself in your face? Or are you constantly looking at God's word for for other people's sake? Be careful, believer. But let's look more carefully. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? And you might say to yourself, well, wait a second, this doesn't apply to me. I don't steal. That's a crude sin. That's a crude sin. And we know, we know for a fact that stealing is taking something that does not belong to you. And many of us in our hypocrisy are convinced that we don't struggle with something as crude as thievery. Ah, but let's look more closely. Matthew chapter 23, verse 14 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. And this word devour means forcibly appropriating. Forcibly appropriating. And in this context, uh, the Pharisees would take advantage of the weak widows that were a part of the church. And in a pretense of helping them or coming alongside of them, they they would slowly pull away their resources into the temple. You understand? But what is this really saying? Let's define what a thief is. A thief is someone who takes advantage of the resources of the weak or exploits people. And so the question, if we're looking at it rightly, is do you have a tendency ever, believer, to exploit the people around you? And maybe it's, maybe, uh, it's very simple. Maybe you're always getting a ride from people to get somewhere and you're never reciprocating any sort of love and you're taking advantage of someone here at this church. Maybe at your work, you take things, take time away from work to check Facebook, hang out, you go to the bathroom and you sit in there with your phone and you look at Instagram for about 20 or 30 minutes. Now, first of all, you're going to get hemorrhoids that way, so you've got to be real careful. That's God's judgment on you. But my point is, is you're, you're stealing something from your boss. Any moment you're not working and you're using their time and their resources for your gain, you're exploiting someone. And let's be real careful about who we call a thief and how we use the word steal. This isn't some sort of Robin Hood you know, type of situation. We're, we're talking about how you take advantage of those people that you're called to love. Be real careful that you don't teach against stealing, yet steal yourself. You exploit other people. I think if we really looked at what thievery is, some of us would find very quickly that we are thieves. 
Now, it gets even deeper. If you look at Psalm 15, verse 16, it says, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, saying thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee. Now look at this. When thou sawest a thief, then thou uh, consentedest. And hast been partaker with adulterers. Now, this word consent means you make acceptable. And so what this is saying is that when you saw someone else take, you justified it. And this makes you a partaker in their sin. And this is some this can be kind of difficult to apply, right? Because if you think about it in terms of your work, the, que- the question is, are you, what is your heart concerning those people that you know are doing wrong at your job? What's your heart towards them? Because God sees your heart. Didn't we establish that? God sees your heart. How do you perceive other people's sins? Do you consent? Now, maybe you don't do, right? Maybe you're walking a straight line. But in your heart, do you consent? Do you say to yourself, if I could do that, I so would? I guarantee people in this room have done that before. If I could do that, I so would do that. But you know, I'm a believer, I can't. Now, you know that God hates sin? He hates it. Not only did Jesus Christ live a perfect life, like walked out according to the law, he was, he was found with no guilt, But in his mind, he continually hated sin. And some of us don't hate sin. And in in our consension, in our mind, guess what? We're partakers. Boy, oh boy. We got found out real quick, didn't we? You are made a partaker of sin by your permissiveness of sin in your associations with other people. Now look at verse 22. Thou sayest, a man should not commit adultery. Does thou commit, uh, does thou not, I'm sorry, lost my place. Thou that sayest, a man should not commit adultery. Does thou commit adultery? Now here, here's something that we probably need to spend. Just, we're going we're gonna to close here, okay? But I want us to look at this real carefully. None of us in this room, right, this moment, would say that adultery, that cheating Cheating on your wife or your husband is an acceptable thing to do, would we? None of us would say that. We recognize the sinfulness of it. And you know, there are many examples of how religious men in Scripture failed to remain sexually pure and defiled their office and their responsibility by chasing sexual encounters. And when we look at like the story of David, or we look at Samson, we look at these men, and we see how they, they failed to do what was right in terms of their betrothed, Right? We see their wickedness and we judge them. And we say we would never do that. We would never do that. But in today's context, all we have to do is look around and look at the church and we can see that the church is more vulnerable to this, to adultery, than it ever has been. It seems like once every couple months we hear about a a pastor of renown who has fallen prey to some sort of sexual sin. It's not uncommon. So, so why do we put our guard down? Why do we think that we're above this? Why, why, adultery is a devastating thing. Why is it so devastating? Why is adultery devastating? Huh? Why is cheating such a devastating thing? Because when we as believers cheat on our spouses, we say that keeping promises is optional and inconvenient. And it drags Jesus Christ's name through the mud. But now let's look at this from from a a more, uh, a a grander biblical perspective. Why is cheating on God so devastating? Do you ever cheat on God? Do you? The Bible talks about this over and over and over again. How the the, the people of, of, of God cheated on him had adulterous relationships with other gods, with, with, with false idols. 
Over and over again, the Bible condemns this. Do you cheat on God? Why is, why is cheating on God so devastating? I mean, no one sees it. You know that hidden sin, that hidden idol, that hidden thing that you worship? No one sees it. Why is it so devastating? It's devastating because just like our vows to our spouses, we have made an eternal vow to God to make him Lord. And adultery destroys the picture of God's relationship with us. Adultery calls our relationship with God optional and inconvenient. You don't get to cheat on God. And you, you might pretend that you don't, but God knows. In Scripture, adultery is a type of defrauding God. A hypocrite is someone who might preach against physical adultery, right? Yet justify, justify their own spiritual infidelity as necessary. I have to do this. This is just who I am. It's no big deal. It's no big deal that I've wasted, I've wasted the day on idolatrous uh, pursuits. It's no big de- deal that I haven't been in God's word today and that I've been spending all my time playing Xbox or skateboarding or watching, binge-watching Gilmore Girls on Netflix. Right? It's no, it's no big deal. I needed a break. But the question is, in your heart, God knows whether or not you were cheating on him. We are not above adultery in our relationship with the Lord. And we need to be careful not to judge. Because in our hearts, many of us are adulterers. Now, I don't have time. I wanted to get into how we need to guard our mind. Um, We'll save this for for next time. Uh, How we need to, to... Learn to obey God's word and to trust in it. And we'll get, we'll get into that next time we come together. But I, I want to say this. Believers, as you grow, like I'm looking around the room, and I see a bunch of young people who are growing in their faith. And I'm so proud of that. Like, I'm, I'm so excited about the conversations that I'm having with you and, and, and how God is growing you into new positions and, and, and making you leaders and Bible studies and, and how some of you are beginning to disciple or be discipled. And everyone in here is growing in a unique way. Everyone's a little bit different. But listen. As you grow, it is crucial for you to remember that if you don't say yes to God and you don't obey Him and you don't submit yourself to Him and you don't hold yourself in humility, you're in danger of posturing your life to make you look like you're something that you're not. Um, you know, uh, I remember there was a, there's a, a field behind our house uh, growing up. There's not far from me. And the kids, we'd play in the creek, not, not far from our house. And then there was a field where they, they kept cows. And it was kind of an open pasture. There wasn't much there. And I remember as a kid, like fifth or sixth grade, I went with this kid named Ricky. I don't, you don't see the name Ricky very often. Okay, this kid Ricky, I should never have been hanging out with him, but that's a whole other story. So we're, we're walking through this, this, this field, and I remember there being a tree, okay? And you know, as kids, you like to climb trees, and especially just one tree in the field. You go up to it, you walk up to it, and you investigate, and you think, oh, can we climb this tree? We were just goofing around, right? And I remember discovering that the tree had somehow become hollow, that there was some sort of disease or something that had taken the tree. And we didn't realize it until we got close to it. It looked like a normal tree, right? It, just, it was a tree in the middle of a field. And that day, that hollow tree, we pushed that sucker over. I mean, it was so rotten to the core that we could take that. We did, you know, this is what boys do. We started with the branches, and we were like punching it, and doing, you know. And we took this tree down with our bare hands. And it was like an average-sized tree. It looked like it should have been healthy from afar. But as we got closer to it, this sucker just got pushed over. We just beat it to death. Okay, But the truth was, it was dead all along. Believer, when you see other people at a standard that you do not hold yourself to, you are in danger of living a hollow Christian life. And that life is a life that could be pushed over, and it's dead from the inside. So how do we guard against that? We pursue his word with, with, the, with great diligence, And we practice Hebrews chapter 4 and we let it cut us and cut us deep. 
and we let it do exactly what it needs to do, and we let it be precise, and, and, and we obey it in every way. And we remain accountable to it. In our small groups, we talk about what God's showing us so that people can hold us to those truths. This is how we live unless we, unless we want to become a, a walking contradiction. Do you understand? Let's pray that we not be that. We're out of time, and I didn't get very far, and I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But let's pray right now. Some of us, this is the invitation. I don't know if we just need an acoustic guitar or what we need to do. But let's pray right now that God would purge us of our tendencies to judge other people or even see ourselves higher than we truly are. You understand? Let's be, let's be humble before Jesus Christ the way that we were on the day that we were saved. Can we do that? Can we consecrate ourselves to that? We want to be used in this world. We want to see God's name glorified. We can't do that if we're dead on the inside, if we're a whited sepulcher. The Heavenly Father, Lord, do not make us like the Pharisees. Do not allow us to get away with living as the way these Jews in Rome were living. Forgive us of our, our wickedness and our tendency to say one thing, but yet in our own way do another. And, and we see ourselves as holy and we see ourselves as upright, but a lot of times if we look closely and we let your word do its exacting work, well, we, what we'll find is that there's actually a lot of wickedness that needs to be dealt with in our own lives. Lord, help us to see you rightly and to say yes and to obey and to pursue with a, with a passion that well, we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and we might be used in this world, that we might be made evangelists and leaders that are profitable for your kingdom's sake. That's who we want to be. Help us, help us to come there. We love you and we need you this morning. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know what it means to follow you, that they heard all of these things and they heard about what it means to be a hypocrite and they heard all these things and they don't quite understand it, but, but they want to understand who you are and they want to understand what your word says about you. God, would you give them the confidence to come and speak to me after service? Lord, if there's any soul that doesn't know where they're going when they die, if they're unsure of where they stand in relation to Jesus Christ, would you give them the confidence and the boldness to come speak to me? We love you and we need you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.
guys are dismissed. Uh, you still need to take care of something, let's be respectful, but um, pick up chairs. Um, also, if you see like a coffee cup or any trash, try to pick up any kind of trash and throw it away. Um, we'll try to leave this place cleaner than we got here. Thank you.
Oh shoot, no one stopped recording. Uh, 